Have you heard of the term matrescence and wondered what it is and wanted to know a little bit more about it? Well, you're in luck. In this week's episode of the Working Mama podcast, I speak with mindset coach Louise East on matrescence and so much more on the journey to becoming a mum. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Well, hello there. Hope you're going well. Today's episode of the Working Mama podcast is a really good one because it's all about matrescence and the journey of becoming a mum. And Louise East and I cover some really deep topics and also really unpack what it means to be the mum and the mental models and, you know, the word should and, you know, what we throw around in society, which can really be frustrating. And I know that we both generally bond on that one. So also about what it's meant to be as a good mum, and I say that in inverted commas, you know, and how some hints and tips to really get you through this. And matrescence is about the journey of becoming a mum. And so that's with, it can last, you know, 18, 25 years, but I don't think we really ever stop being a mum, do we? So enjoy this episode. And as always, be sure to leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes and Spotify, and then share this with your other mum friends that you think it might be of value to. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Louise. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? Oh, pretty good. I've had a lovely walk outside and uh, all the schoolwork is done. So we're happy. So we're recording this at the end of August 2021. And Louise and I are both based in Melbourne and we're in the thick of lockdown six point whatever, put a number to it. (laughs) But it's been a long 18 months, hasn't it? Oh, for sure. (laughs) It feels longer than that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm really looking forward to getting into today's topic around matrescence. I can't even say the word. Do you want to say (laughs) matrescence? I asked before we got on, but yes, I'm bad with some of these pronunciations, but we will get there. But before we get into today's topic, how would you best describe yourself? I love this question because I always challenge myself to not just go straight into, you know, I'm a mum, blah, 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 my roles. So I'm going to say I'm a 42-year-old woman who loves connecting with other people and loving people and exploring new places. I love to feel free and to be outside, especially with a water view, and I love to learn new things. So those are some of the core things about me. But I am also a wife and a mother. I'm a stepmom and a grandmother, believe it or not. And I'm a person who really loves to create things, start things, lead things, teach things and help people understand and believe in themselves more. So I've always done this in my career in one way or another. Oh, fantastic. And so just for context for people as well, you're a life coach? Yes, I'm a mindset and life coach for mothers. Oh, how perfect for this community and this podcast. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about matrescence. I'll probably learn how to say this by the end of today's podcast. <laughs> so apologies for any for those that are playing along. But I'd actually never heard of this term until recently. But the more I've heard about it, the more I can relate to it. What exactly is it? It's a term that has actually been around for a little while, but it's really not well known. It's sort of been hidden in the research. So it was first coined by anthropologist Dana Raphael, and she said it was the process of becoming a mother. That's the very simplest version of it. And then Dr. Aurelie Athen, who's a clinical psychologist, explained it like this, just as adolescence is the period of transition from child to adult that affects every aspect of life, so too is matrescence. It is the period of transition from woman to mother and affects every aspect of life. So that's really what it is. It's a period of identity transformation, identity change and transformation that begins when we become mothers, but continues throughout our entire motherhood journey. So it recurs with each child that we have And it changes as the needs of our children change and the stage of life changes and even progresses into when we become grandmothers. Wow, there's so much in that. So it's sometimes we wonder and there's this whole big journey that we go on as like when we become a mum. So now this actually puts a name to that journey, so to speak. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so many women think that their experience, they're very isolated in their experience and that they're the only ones struggling or finding that they don't understand themselves anymore or they see the world so differently. But this is actually a normal and expected transition. When I say expected, it's expected because there have been people that have recognized this is what we go through, but it's not expected to most of us because we've never heard of it and no one is educating us around this. I'm, you know, I say no one, there are people educating, but it's not mainstream knowledge. So we don't get that in the info pack when we get the information about breastfeeding or whatever else we might get, you know, where to, which hospital to go to or whatever other information we're given. It's, it's never about this. And that's why it takes us by surprise. And it really changes, like I said, every element of us. It's, it's our identity. It's our values. It's the way we see ourselves in the world. It's our hormones. It's our relationships, our emotions, our brains, our bodies, our finances. <laughs> Everything changes. And it's not like when your baby is born, overnight you become a mother and you're done, like your transformation is done and you have arrived. That's just the beginning. That's when the cracking open starts and everybody's experience is unique. So that makes it even more challenging because there's not one map to follow, just like there's no instruction manual for motherhood, having a baby. There's no instruction (laughs) manual for matrescence either, although there are certainly some things which we can equip ourselves with and understand, which helps us feel less alone and, you know, like when there's nothing wrong with us. Yeah, because it seems to be in motherhood, everything, as you said, the the hospital, which pram to get, it's also physical. Yeah. Where definitely matrescence seems to be a lot more of that inward looking and that emotional part. And I know that I couldn't believe it that so much focus is given to that 24, 48 hours of giving birth, but such a small part is given to how you want to be as a mum. But I guess that that's the matrescence part. And for me, I just, I always felt, just flabbergast me when everyone I see in Facebook groups of, oh, what's your birth plan and blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, what's your plan as a mum? But no one ever talks about it. Yes. We sort of plan for that very short time. Hopefully it's a short time. Yeah. Um, but we sort of forget that, oh, hang on a minute. I'm going to have to experience and quit myself for the rest of my yeah. life, the next 20, 30 years, whatever it might be. I know. And I think that's why so many women are blindsided by this. It's not our fault. And it's not, you know, I have to, I really want to be clear on that. It's not your fault that you don't know this and that you are blindsided by it because we weren't meant to go into motherhood, not knowing about these things. You know, we were, the way we mother these days is so isolated and we don't have the mothers who've gone before us sharing the wisdom of this stuff, because to be honest, most of our mothers don't know about this either. And probably none of our mothers know about this. I mean, I haven't come across a client yet who's told me their mother has understood and known about this. So it's really sad, actually, to be honest. That's how I feel when I first learned about this. Firstly, I felt like, wow, that makes so much sense. Relief. And also it's sad that women, I I sort of see it as being let down by no one in particular that you can name, but we just let down by not understanding this. So Mm. when we become a mother, we suddenly feel like we're these two people. We're the woman we were before. And now we're this person we don't really understand called mother. (laughs) And we don't know how to marry the two. And that's where a lot of women get stuck. And then we don't say anything because we feel shamed of it. We feel guilty. We feel like I'm the only one experiencing this. What's wrong with me? Everyone else looks so pretty on social media and they look like they're, you know, all coping fine. And we're all being silent about the things that actually we're all experiencing. And we just keep trying harder and harder and harder, you know, like we work harder. It must be me. I need to try harder. I need to do more. I need to be better. But it's actually not that. (laughs) No, it's because you are, you have gone through a massive shift and and who you are, as you said, your values, your outlook, everything changes. I know from a personal experience, when my first son was born, uh, he was in special care nursery for eight days. And I remember them ringing me and then saying, are you Patrick's mum? And I was like, yes, (laughs) I could actually had to, and I I also had answered, you know, had to ring a couple of times and I was like, this is crazy. Like I remember saying to my husband going, oh, I'm now like a mum and I've got this new identity. And for me, it was this real like shift of going, oh my goodness. Like, it's something that I wasn't prepared for. I know in myself that mm. identity shift that literally happened straight away. 
And how interesting too, like there's a really subtle thing in that story that you just shared, how they asked you, are you Patrick's mum? So now you're not even Karina. No. You're Patrick's mum, even in the way you're addressed. (laughs) So there's so many ways that this happens to us. It's very layered and nuanced, but it's there. There is a huge transition. Yeah. And it's not one dimensional either, as you said, it's, you know, there's so many layers to this and it doesn't just happen with one child. It happens with subsequent children and also throughout the season of motherhood, as you were saying. Yeah. What I think is really interesting about matrescence is when mums are ready to sort of see it, if you know what I mean. So for some mothers, they they feel unsettled and disoriented the the minute they become a mother. They feel that. They feel the tension, the change, the transformation starting. Other mothers seem to sail through their first child mostly. I mean, no one has it completely easy, but you know what I mean? Like they can ride through and it's not until they have their second child that they think, oh my goodness, what is happening to me? So it's different for everybody. And there's so many factors in that come into play there. But I think the thing is that we're all experiencing it. It's just, it's just a dip, slightly different journey for everyone, but there's definitely some common things underneath. Yeah. And so talk us through, okay, this is the term. How can we unpack it and start to recognize in ourselves what it is and to take ourselves on this journey of, I guess, a bit of self-discovery and, and self-awareness through it so we can, I guess, identify it, accept it, and then really thrive as a result? So I think firstly, just understanding it more is really helpful. And there, there is more information out there these days. So if you were to Google matrescence, you would actually find some things <laughs> that you could read if you wanted to. But I think just reflecting on who you were and how you identified yourself before and who you are now is a really good start because you can start to see how you've changed. And I often encourage women to look at photos when they're doing this as well, because it can, that can be quite helpful to aid the memory. You know, if you look at photos of you before and you remember who, who was I before I started this motherhood journey? How would I have described myself? What did I love doing? What were, what were the things I valued the most? And then now consider yourself and how would you describe those same things? So what, what you'll see is some things have remained, some things you want to remain, but they're hidden away. They're, there's no space for them. You're craving them. You know, those are the, those are areas to explore. And some things are completely different. And those are the areas where you can start to see growth emerging, maybe complete shift, maybe complete 180, <laughs> whatever it might be. But it's just really interesting to look at the differences and look at it in different ways. So it's, there's lots of, lots of layers to matrescence, right? But you might look at your life. So how you live your life, you look at you as a person, you look at your values, you look at how you define your role in the world, because I think our place in the world really shifts when we become mothers. There's a lot of social expectations on women when they become mothers. And a lot of those overtake everything we thought about ourselves before. Mm, And that can really influence as well how we think we're going as a mum and our identity shift. You know, you see some of these celebrities on Instagram two days after a birth, they've got a flat stomach again. That's not reality. And that's what you see, but it's really important that as you were saying, you do you and you do what's, what's, you know, identify the change. And that can actually be quite a, a reflective but also quite an emotional period because you've had to, for some things, say goodbye to. Yes, there's definitely a sense of loss or grief for many women for parts of their life. One thing I will say around that is sometimes it's not a loss forever. So often women come to this, come to exploring these sorts of things when their children are still quite young and they're in a very intensive parenting phase. And so there are definitely things that we sacrifice in that phase that become easier as our children become a little bit more independent. So it's not necessarily always that we're grieving the loss of things forever, but it's still valid to grieve the loss of them for a period if you feel that they're important to you. 
Yeah. So I think that's worthwhile taking into account. Yeah. So it's really recognizing who we were, who we are now, but also recognizing things that you may be missing. But Mm. as you say, it's not gone forever, but also even writing it down. So if those that have vision boards or, you know, goals and things like that, it may not be something that you want to do or you can do tomorrow necessarily, but it could be in the next five to 10 years that you want to do. For example, my husband and I, we went to Santorini on our honeymoon. We're like, look, we'd love to go back to the Greek islands, even take our boys with us. But we know obviously COVID times is not there, but also we're with a young family. So it's not really viable, but we're like, look, that's a goal for us as a family in the next period. So yeah, it's one of those life things that you may not be able to do it straight away, but hopefully you can do it. And I guess also through what you're saying, it's also good to recognize and call it out. So you can write it down, which is really powerful. Mm. So then you can go, all right, we're going to have it there as a, as a you know, long-term dream and vision. Yeah. And even if you can think about how can you incorporate some of that vision into your life now, you know, how can you start to work towards that holiday? Gosh, COVID makes that really difficult with all the uncertainty, but you know, is there planning or researching you can do? Do you like to read about the place that you're you're going to? Do you like to, you know, watch videos of it or is there, are there experiences that are related to that culture that you can bring into your life now and just enjoy it and create that sense of anticipation? So, sometimes we need to break down that dream that we have and go, okay, what's feasible for me now to get a little bit of that, you know, in the interim. Yeah. The other thing, oh, sorry. No, 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 you go. (laughs) I saw you take a breath there. The other thing is then to think about what sort of mother do you actually want to be? One thing I think, yeah, one thing I think is that's so powerful in this, in this area is to think about who you feel you should be versus who you actually want to be. Because one of the greatest gifts of matrescence is shedding all the external expectations of mothers and figuring out who you actually are and the sort of mother you want to be. It's a returning to self, I like to think of it as, uncovering who you really are. Some of that's new, but a lot of it is coming back to who you really are. So if you can look at who you want to be in terms of, okay, which of those things that I think I want to be are actually because I feel like I need to, I feel like to be deemed as successful in modern society, I have to display those things versus I have a real heart pull towards that. That's certainly so powerful. And, and by spending the time, and as you say, what you know you should be of what society says versus what you want to be, it's... It also comes back to that identity shift as well, you know, of what society is putting on you as a good mum, as opposed to each and every family is different. It's just like birth. Everyone has a different birth story. Every person's going to raise their kids different as well. Yeah. And, you know, the audience for this podcast is working mums, right? And even the the decision about whether to go back to work and in and what capacity, how many, how many days you're going to work and what will you do with your children, those questions are loaded with shoulds yeah. in modern Western society. That is controversial and, you know, intense ground to be navigating. So even just in that area, you would probably be able to see the difference between what you feel you should be doing and what you actually want to do. So many of the women I talk to, they know what they want to do. They can feel it in their heart and where the the angst comes from is the discrepancy between that and what they feel they should be doing. And if they can give themselves permission to identify that those are two separate things and then follow what they want and what's right for them, release themselves from the shoulds, then, you know, the decision becomes much clearer. I love how you said that, give yourself permission to be able to do what you want. And it's amazing. All you need sometimes is just that little bit of, no, it's okay. You're allowed to do it. You're allowed to do what you want, not what society is telling you you should be doing. Yeah, that that's really powerful. <laughs> I think that just could cover so many areas of matrescence, really. It's, it's it's about allowing yourself to make a stand for yourself and your family and do what is right for you. And it feels hard. Sometimes doing that is really hard because if you are, for example, I, I didn't really feel pressure in this area, but I definitely felt like the odd one out when I had a mother's group. My mother's group was quite big. It was about 15 
um, mothers and their babies because I think they'd missed the one before. And after 12 months, I was literally the only one not working. Some of them went back at six months, nine months, you know, 12 months, and I was the only one. <laughs> now that could have got the better of me. Now in that instance, I didn't, I wasn't worried about that, but I certainly talked to women who would be. All right. So Louise, now once we know what this term is and how to go through it, what way can we work through it and get some compassion in ourselves? Yeah, this is a really good first step because think about the way that you talk to yourself. Self-compassion is one of the most important things that all of us need in motherhood. And it relates beautifully to matrescence because if you haven't known about matrescence, it's very likely that you have been being quite hard on yourself. So if you can just reflect on all the things that you have felt were your fault and all the ways that you felt like you weren't measuring up, the things that you thought you weren't good enough at, where you compared yourself unfavorably to others. And if we now understand that this is a normal thing to go through, that you are meant to be changing, that things are meant to be confusing, you know, like adolescence, when they go through that time, everything is questioned. You know, teenagers do crazy stuff. No one says, why are you doing that? They go, oh, they're teenagers. It, it should be the same, you know. Why is this woman confused about who she is? Oh, because she's going through matrescence. So if you now know that that's normal and that it isn't your fault, how can you speak to yourself differently? Yeah. You know, that's the key question. And I always bring my clients to that first. How can we be more compassionate towards ourselves? And just to give a bit of a tool here, if you have heard anything about self-compassion, you've probably heard of Kristen Neff. She's one of the leading thought, the thought leaders in the world around self-compassion. And she describes self-compassion with three components. So the first part is acknowledging your feelings without judgment. So whatever it is that you've been feeling towards yourself, just, or you've been feeling about the situation, just feel it, allow it. You know, I'm finding this really hard. I'm struggling to keep up with all the demands. I feel like I'm not good enough. Just allow that to be. And then the next part is common humanity. So that is recognizing that you're actually not alone in this that everybody does struggle and that's not to diminish what you're going through, but it's so that we don't feel so isolated because motherhood is such an isolating experience. Others struggle with this too. You know, it's normal for mothers to struggle through periods of motherhood. It's normal for women to feel confused or, you know, whatever it might be. And then the last part is kindness. And that comes back to soothing yourself saying kind things to yourself, asking yourself practically, what do I need right now? Do I need a little break? Do I need to take a walk around the block? Do I need to just get this out of me? Do I need to tell someone about it? Do I need to write it in my journal? Whatever I need, it's just about being kind to ourselves. Wow. I I am just blown away by that. It is so powerful. I often say to people, particularly like the working in the working mama community, I say, you aren't alone, but it's really nice that that's actually, so to speak, and, you know, you can box it into something as a small framework around acknowledging feelings and common humanity and kindness. It's just, that's so powerful. And I think that's what we were saying earlier. It's about, you know, it's okay to be not okay. It's, you know, and that's just normal in motherhood. And I think the more that people recognize that, the better off we'll be because you don't have to be this mum that's on 24-7, that's looking amazing all the time and has a baby that eats, bleeds and sleeps of what you should because that doesn't happen. <laughs> Most probably if you do, let me know. <laughs> um, for someone with a six and a half old month old. And, but acknowledging it is just so, so powerful in, in what you've just said. Mm. I think the challenge with this is that we don't hear enough examples of reality. We, we see fragments of reality. And look, that's even harder when we're in lockdown. If anyone in the around world listening to this is in lockdown, that's even harder because you really don't see anybody else. 
But even in normal life, we don't, we don't see the entirety of people's experiences. And because we are, a lot of us are keeping things to ourselves because it feels like we're the ones not doing good enough. We're not privy to the challenges of other women. And so it just adds, it adds, it all builds this pressure and this, you know, this feeling that we're not measuring up to some standards. If we only could be in a situation where what we saw all around us was the full picture, I mean, gosh, that would be so different, wouldn't it? Oh, hundred percent. And actually my mother's group, we've been through the highs and there's been a lot of lows within us. And what's actually held us together, um, there's four of us in our main group, it's because we've shared our crappy days and we've shared those times that you, there's that vulnerability we've given mm. and we've all given it and to say, look, you know, we're not going great. And it's actually been really powerful to know we're not alone. We're all sleep deprived. We've all had our challenges in some shape or form. And that's also been really, really powerful. I have to say that it's not this Instagram perfect worthy life because it's not, that's not what it is. Yeah. How wonderful that you have a group like that. You don't need heaps of people like that. You just need a couple or whatever people who will, who will be really real with you so that you don't feel alone. And so that you can also get it out because when we store all this within us, it's actually not really good for our systems. We don't, we're not completing the stress cycle. We get, we have a whole buildup of stress hormones, stress chemicals inside us. It's, you know, it's not good for us. So yeah, the more we can talk about it, the better. And sometimes it just takes one woman to be brave enough to start those vulnerable conversations. So do you reckon that's what's needed? So to be able to, so once we've identified this phase, we can identify some of those personal changes that we're going through as what you've said. What can we do next? And also what do you think needs to happen to change some of that? that language mm. and impressions around this phase of, of becoming a mum, you know, that it is okay not to, to have it all together, so to speak. Oh gosh. The first thing I'd love to see is just better education around this and this being included as a priority when we talk to pregnant women, new mothers, actually mothers at any stage, because some people, as I said, don't really feel the full effects of this till later in their journey. So I, I would love for this to be really mainstream. <laughs> I think we're not quite there yet. You know, even the professionals that are dealing with mothers already, if they could be equipped with this, that would be so powerful as well as women like myself who are, you know, solely focusing on this sort of thing and trying to bring this message to the world all together, we can make a difference. But definitely what I, I think helps is just being able to have those conversations more. So have real conversations find someone that you feel you can trust and open up and you will be amazed (laughs) at what comes back. I'm sure because when someone feels that it is safe to be themselves and they're not going to be judged, then they will reciprocate, you know, but somebody has to make the first move. Yeah. And so what, so health professionals, so it's not just about, you know, your birth plans and things like that. Also then providing that support for, I guess, prenatal as well as postnatal around motherhood and and things like that as a whole, Mm. rather than just that phase of birth in the child. Yeah. To recognize that it's not just a baby that's coming into the world, but it's a whole new woman who's coming into the world and that you're going to change just as much as your baby does. And then the whole self-care debate comes into this as well, because if a woman is thriving, then their children are more likely to thrive. So how can we better support mothers to understand what they need through this transition so that they actually can thrive rather than making it all about the baby, all about the pressure and the, as you say, the external, the physical and getting that right, which actually adds a whole lot of extra pressure. If it could be a more balanced conversation, I think that would be really, really valuable. Well, I have to say, uh, when my son was born in February, everyone's focused on him, what his needs are, how's he going and how's his sleep going and things like that. Very few people will actually turn around to me and even my husband and say, how are you both going? Mm. Because there's things that change with relationships, with, you know, bringing on a second child, you're just like, oh my goodness, what's our new routine and, and things like that. But also myself, very few people actually said to me, how are you going? 
even maternal health nurse has not, you know, they used to do checks on um, from a mental health perspective, no longer. It's just what all focused on the baby, nothing about the mother of, you know, how are you going? Because it is such an adjustment and period around it. And as you say, from one child to two child, you still, your identity is constantly changing and evolving and you're discovering new things even about yourself yeah. and about how you're going through that period. It's certainly a lot, a lot to take on, but it's really nice that there as, I don't want to label anything, but it is a, is a label that, you know, you can go through this journey and there is something that you can attach yourself to of saying, oh, that's right. If I'm not feeling okay, and I know that I don't say have postnatal depression, but I'm going through this identity shift, this is the journey that you can go on with um, matrescence. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there's more women now in jobs similar to mine who are offering opportunities like women's circles or other connection type groups where you can come together and talk about these things. And even if there wasn't a, a professional one, I mean, you could just start a group of your own friends who talk about the realities of motherhood and you'd be covering some of it. It's just important that we're real with each other and that we're giving a complete picture. I think not, you know, airing all your dirty laundry, but just being real about what's hard and what's challenging and and what we're struggling with and how we feel about ourselves. And it isn't all rosy. (laughs) And then also the, I think conversation that's really valuable is the discussion around the shoulds. So what do we feel pressured to do versus what do we actually want to do? And, And even the fact that I feel that pressure and how does, what does that do to me? Because for many women, there's a lot of resentment and anger and inadequacy that, and guilt that comes up around those shoulds. So yeah. I'd love to, I love to have those conversations with women to help them see that that's not because of them. And so how do you just very quickly, how do you go through that process of, you know, people are telling themselves, well, I should be doing this and should be doing that. It's actually the word that I think should be also labeled as like a swear word for new mothers. <laughs> Yeah. But how can we move forward from our own mindset of we should be doing this to actually one of, no, I don't care. I'm doing me. Mm. An exercise that I often do with my clients is I get them to write down, just reflect what they consider to be a good mum. Then write a list. Things like her house is always looking amazing. She's always dressed properly. She's lost all her baby weight, <laughs> bounced back, that thing. She cooks all meals from scratch. Her children are enrolled in all the right activities and hit all their milestones. They're always well-behaved in public. The list goes on and on and on and on. Her husband is, you know, completely satisfied and gets all the attention he needs, all sorts of things. I get them to write that list and then I get them to to try and identify where do those things come from and do they really believe that? Do they, a really good example is, I must never yell at my children. I must be calm all the time. That's what women often tell me good mums are. Calm all the time, never lose their temper. And then when we talk about it, is this really a realistic expectation to have on people? Most women say, well, you know, it would be nice because it's idealized, but is it really possible? I don't know how to be calm. I'm not calm all the time. (laughs) And I say to them, nobody is. (laughs) Nobody is, especially when you're under such an intense amount of pressure. So then you can start to break down, right, that is not a realistic (laughs) expectation. What would be a realistic expectation that I would feel really good about? It's checking in with yourself. What feels good to me? Okay, well, maybe I can be calm more of the time. I'd like to feel calm more of the time. I'd like to not lose my temper every day. Maybe if I lost my temper once a week, I'd be okay with that. You know, if you had to put a measure on it, which you don't. But just to try and move your definition in your head, what you believe is a good mum from what is what the shoulds are to what you really, really want for yourself. And some things come from our childhood as well. So a lot of those things that women write on those lists for me are things that their mother did. They're things that they observed in other people in their life, their role models. They're things that they see on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we grow a veggie patch and, and we eat all our own vegetables or we have a beautiful rainbow themed playroom with only wooden toys. It's all those things that you see on Instagram that make mothers feel that that's the, the standard to 
strive for. But then when you question it, does it really matter if you have a few plastic licensed toys in there? No, no one's going to question that. You know, no one says that that really, well, maybe some people would, but most of my clients don't. (laughs) No one's saying no one. Yeah, you have the little extra screen time. Is it going to matter? Probably exactly, not. Exactly. So we need to get detailed to actually examine those beliefs. Otherwise they're swirling around in our heads all together, just creating a whole lot of pressure. Similar to what you said before around that self-compassion and giving yourself permission that no, that's okay for what, what you want it to be, that you know, you don't have to have that perfect Montessori playroom because is it really realistic achievable for everyone? Probably not. So, mm. And isn't even important to you. No. For some people that's really important and for other people that is not important at all. Yeah. So you have to ask yourself what's important to me. And I keep coming back to how I feel because I think for mothers this is a really important indicator. And as women in the modern Western world, we are not taught to use our feelings as a decision-making tool. That is being too emotional and irrational and it's not respected, right? But it's actually very important. We've got the thinking thing down, Pat. We overthink most things, a lot of us. Yes. <laughs> so we need to learn to come back to that inner wisdom that we have or intuition, whatever you want to call it. And you can tell. I work with the women I coach on how can I tell when I'm aligned with something or not, and I can tell from my body. And so when you know that something's right for you, then you can see once you practice that a bit, you start to feel more confident in your own response. And then you can start to see where you need to release yourself from the shoulds of the world and just follow what's right for you. But it's practice, right? And I'm not saying that you will not feel guilty or embarrassed or whatever about it for some time, because these are deeply ingrained ideals things we've been absorbing since we were children ourselves, when we watched mothers around us, when we read little golden books, when we watched yeah. Disney movies, you know, all those things are contributing to these ideals. We watch advertising and how mothers are portrayed in advertising and TV shows. These things all contribute. So it takes a little while to unwind that, but you can make that conscious choice. Yeah, that's certainly so powerful. And another part that I find that is quite common as well, is the talk of perfectionism, similar to the should conversation, but it's also around that perfect mother and I've always got to be perfect, but also can be quite overwhelming as well. Similar to that should conversation, what are some signs that we can look out for relating to perfectionism? And also once we can recognise it, what can we do to try and overcome it? Mm, I love talking about perfectionism. It's my own personal journey. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think that motherhood is the perfect breeding ground for perfectionism. Many of us have developed it in childhood, but if you haven't, you could certainly develop it in motherhood. (laughs) It's just the perfect conditions. So some of the signs, it does manifest differently for different people, but some of the signs that are quite common are you set impossibly high standards for yourself. And I'm an impossibly is a very consciously chosen word. It's not just high standards. And this is the illusion that many perfectionists fall into because perfectionism is, is something that seems good. It's actually, the world tells us it's a good thing. If you're a perfectionist, they praise you for your attention to detail and your incredible capacity and your achievements. So it feels like a good thing, but it's actually not great for our well-being. <laughs> so impossibly high standards are standards that you will never meet all the time which is the modern Western ideal of modern Western world's ideal of motherhood. Yeah. Essentially. You might also set impossibly high standards for other people. So you might find that you're taking control of things, not letting them go because other people can't live up to your standards or you micromanage them and criticize them when they do things. A big one is you believe that your mistakes are a personal flaw. So this means you didn't just fail at a particular task, but you are a failure. You see the difference there? So it's an amplification of that mistake, which becomes now a personal, a reflection on you personally. Mm. And in this case, people are very scared to let anyone see their mistakes, which adds to that self-silencing effect because you're going to be judged. You don't want to be seen as not perfect. So you can't let them see your mistakes. If you have perfectionistic tendencies, you would believe that your self-worth is determined by your performance and achievements. And this leads to a couple of things. If you're not achieving enough or hitting the standards, you never feel good enough. You're also very sensitive to criticism or feedback because it's a threat to your personal worth. And it's really, really hard to take a break 
because if you take a break, you're not performing and achieving, which is a threat to your self-worth. And you can't ask for help either because that would be admitting that you can't do it all yourself. You can see why perfectionism is is so unhelpful, right? Yeah. There's so many things that It can be quite debilitating on. in that. So if you recognise that you do have some of those tendencies even around perfectionism, what can you do and what's some strategies to overcome that? And I know yeah. that's pretty much asking how long's a piece of string. <laughs> I'll give it, try and give it to you in a nutshell. <laughs> I think there's a few key areas that we need to focus on if we're trying to shift perfectionism. And I have done these things myself. <laughs> so the first one is we need to really look at our belief around why we're, why we're engaged in this perfectionistic behaviour. And at the root of perfectionism is fear. It's fear that you're not going to be accepted or fear that you'll be not loved, you know, not loved and accepted basically if you are not perfect. So the first thing is really working on, well, is that true? Will will I really be all alone (laughs) and unloved if I make a mistake? You know, just trying to have a think about that. And then trying to pay attention to perfectionistic thinking day to day. If we go with the example I provided before, I must never lose my temper with my children. If you can start to notice it, you can't change something that you don't notice. So I always get people to start just noticing those perfectionistic thoughts. When do you catch yourself in in all or nothing thinking? It's very common. So I have to do it perfectly or I'm not going to do anything at all. I have to never yell or I'm a terrible mum. You know, it's those sort of all or nothing things. And there's two choices when you notice those thoughts. You can either just observe them and say, "Uh uh-huh, there's that thought. There's that, there's an example of perfectionistic thinking and sort of, and try and let it go. So that's one way that just gives you a bit of distance. You name it and you just let it be. So you don't get hooked on it and start spiraling down with self-criticism. You just, okay, I see it. Yep. It's there. Not going to grab that one. (laughs) The other thing you can do is to try and replace it with a more balanced alternative, such as no one is calm all the time. It's normal to have a wide range of emotions and people do feel angry sometimes, especially under pressure. So you might just try and balance it in your own mind. That's the thought. So there's the the core belief, there's the thoughts, and then there's, this is my favourite one, experimenting with being imperfect on purpose. Very scary for many. (laughs) But just find something small to start with. For example, rock up a little late (laughs) or don't complete something to the nth degree. You know, leave one thing out of something that you're doing. I had a great example from one of my clients who was used to cleaning her house from top to toe when anyone would come over. And after we'd been doing some work, she came back to me and she said, oh, I had this amazing experience. I had people coming over last sort of not with much notice And I was madly cleaning the house. And then I looked at my kid's bookshelf and things were falling out all over the place and it wasn't all nice and neat. And I thought, I'm going to leave that. (laughs) And she didn't clean up that bookshelf. Now for her, that was a really conscious thing just to see what happened. And you know what? No one mentioned it. (laughs) No one noticed. It had zero impact on the visit from her friends. And that's what I mean about experimenting with being imperfect on purpose because you get confidence then you go oh wow it's okay when I do that it's okay little by little yeah and then it can then manifest into bigger things that's awesome yeah because it's something that you know a lot of people do you know that do suffer from it it can also be quite debilitating and can also affect relationships with others because they're wanting to be perfect and, and have those you know, characteristics on display as what you were saying. So mm. that's certainly um, some helpful strategies that people can, can definitely use. There's one more that I think is really worthwhile and it's an easy one, and that is to try and celebrate the things that you do well because people with perfectionistic tendencies always focus on the, the tiny percent that they don't get right. So if you can start to notice when you do do something well and actually savor that moment, you know, think about it, go, yes, I did that well. Notice how you did it well. Notice how it feels to do something well. That's a really good habit to build as well to balance out some of the opposite. That's awesome. Now with matrescence and and that, is there anything else that we can, I know 
there's a lot that we can do, but just some final tips and strategies just to help on our journey of motherhood and that we can apply at different phases along the way and just support us in what you've said. Is there anything else you want to add? Yeah. I think many women find it hard to value motherhood. The world society doesn't value motherhood. So we feel like we need to do a lot more to be people of value. And I think a really valuable exercise to do is to come back and to come back to what you believe is the value that you're providing in your role as a mother so that you know that. You have to know it for yourself. You have to believe in it yourself because it's going to be questioned all the time. And that's that whole saying of I'm just a mum. You know, some people say I'm just a mum, especially working women say that when they're on mat leave because they feel like they're not doing enough. I'm just a mum at the moment or they might take a break from their career for a little while or they feel like I'm just working part-time. It's not enough. You know, I should be working full-time. So we see the value we provide in the working world easily. We see it. We don't see the value that we provide at home so much. And if we can if we can break that down and really believe in it and know it and own it, that helps us. That helps a lot. Yeah, I was actually just having a conversation with a friend the other day and she's got a lot of her identity associated with work and because of COVID at the moment she can't work. And, yeah, that identity, she says, but I just feel I'm just this person and just a mum and, and things like that. But obviously she's providing a lot of value for her children at home but it can be quite challenging when your identity is wrapped up on who you who you are, also who you were before you became a mum and, and that journey of transition as well. Yeah. And then, and then how do you bring more of yourself to your life as well? So if you're all dedicated to work and children and domestic duties, which are not mothering, and I, that's probably another discussion because <laughs> everybody has domestic duties. If you exactly. need to stay house, <laughs> you don't need to have children for those, although children do amplify domestic yeah. duties. <laughs> what else is there for you? And that's self-care. I know self-care can be a bit cliched, but just having space in your life for you to pursue things that bring you joy, give you pleasure, energize you, call it a hobby if you want, doing things that you like, whatever you want to call it, but try and work on creating space for things that you like. And if you don't know what you like, just try some things and see how they make you feel. Because maybe because of matrescence, what you liked before is no longer what you like. Or maybe they're things that you've long forgotten because you've been so focused on everyone else. And especially if you have perfectionistic tendencies, we get so focused on what everybody else wants and people pleasing and and defining ourselves through other people's eyes that we can actually forget what we like. Yeah. We don't even know how to access it. We've forgotten who we are and that's where identity getting so caught up in in that mum life is what you said earlier, but about who you are now and also who you want to be as well through that phase. It's um, definitely very powerful when you can do that work and and create those identities and and to do that. So, Mm. yeah. Is there any final words and tips and tricks and advice? I know you've got some awesome tips as well in your blog, so definitely uh, head over to Louise's blog. But is there anything else you want to add? I just think maybe I'll sum it up like this. Matrescence is about rediscovering you or discovering you, the new you, and being confident to be that woman in the world. So anything that brings you back to yourself as opposed to other people's expectations, other people's needs, I'm not saying at the expense of other people's needs, but somehow we need to find a way to to have both. It can't be all everybody else and not us. It has to be both because when mothers thrive, children and families thrive. So anything you can do to come back to what's important to you, what you enjoy, who you are, more space for you, any of that is useful. That's probably the easiest way to sort of sum up everything we've talked about. (laughs) So good. So good. And just on that, how do you fill your cup? How do I fill my cup? I have moved away from routines and things like that with self-care. So now I tend to do 
whatever I feel like on the day, right? I, I look at it day by day and say, what do I need right now? I'm not very rigid around it, but I can tell you some of my favorite things to do. Exercise, so like running, Pilates, walking, yoga, online workouts, whatever, I don't really care. Being outside, especially in the sunshine, reading, connecting with people that I love. Relationships are really important to me. I love to do creative things. So I love painting and drawing or coloring more, not so much drawing, craft. I recently did a private glass blowing class, which was amazing. Crazy dancing with my son, (laughs) (laughs) journaling, meditation. When we're not in lockdown, I love to explore new places. I mean, I just, I love all these things. So it depends on the day. Sometimes it's just, I need a hot cup of tea in the backyard, in the sunshine by myself. (laughs) So good. So good. (laughs) Love it. And so Louise, where can people find you? Okay. So my website is a great place to find lots of extra resources, articles, and that is moretomum.com.au. You can also email me if you want to chat. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm at louise at moretomum.com.au. The two is a T-O, not number. And moretomum is my handle on Instagram and Facebook if you want to find me there. Well, thank you so much for today's chat. I know that I've learned a lot during it and I will edit this out, but there are people (laughs) come into our little recording. So thank you very much for your patience. (laughs) And uh, look, thank you so much for actually giving light and explanation into this term called matrescence that, you know, needs to get more out there that if you are thinking that you're not going okay, you probably are. You've just got to go through this process and journey. So thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and uh, wish you all the best in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really fun conversation. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.